guys ready to grow and willing to change? Awesome. I graduated from college a few years ago, <laughs> a few decades ago. <laughs> and I have a uh, BSBA in finance and economics. Sounds impressive, right? Doesn't really mean anything, but it sounds good. And uh, I, I did pretty well in college and felt like I knew a lot and was fortunate enough to get my first job right out of school. I actually had it before I graduated, which was kind of a relief because I was getting married a couple of months after I graduated. So having a job was a good thing. But I don't know that I really understood how little I knew until I started my first job. I mean, I had all this information, all this knowledge that I had obtained over the four years that I was involved in that portion of my higher education. But when I got to work at the bank, which is where I went to work, I really saw how little I knew. In fact, there was really only one class that I took in the entire four years of my degree that I used on a regular basis in my first job. One class. Now, I'm not saying that the other classes didn't provide some foundational things and I understood some things about the financial world. Certainly that's the case. But as far as the day-to-day -day productivity in my first job, there was really one class that I took in college that helped me do that. The bank really took me and they taught me what they wanted me to know and how they wanted me to do it. So that four years, it wasn't a waste. I would never say that. Certainly not. But I didn't really know as much as... I had a lot of knowledge, a lot of information. But that didn't really play out in the application in my career. They taught me what they wanted me to do and they taught me how... They wanted me to do it. Here's what, here's what I've observed in Western education. And please don't take what I'm about to say as a slam against education. I think education's huge. It's very important. And I think we live in a country that does a pretty good job of educating millions and millions of kids. If you want to learn, you can learn. You don't want to learn, you're not going to learn. But if you want to... You are going to. I have the utmost respect for the education system and educators. I have to say that because I'm married to one. No, I'm just kidding. I would say that even if I wasn't married to one. It is so important. That is so crucial. But he, here's what Western education has become. It's become really a transfer of information. You sit in a class. Teacher stands at the front of the class. And they impart information to you. Now, depending on your learning style, you may get that, you may not. But basically, the education system has become about transfer of information. Now, in and of itself, that may not be a big deal. That's just part of it. You go through that, you mature a little bit, you get your job, they kind of mold you and shape you and teach you what they want you to do and how they want it done. I understand that's part of the process, but here's... Here's where the problem begins. Because we take that mentality, we've been in that educational system our entire life from the time we were five until whenever we got out of school, 
And we bring that mentality with us to Christianity. And so we begin to view being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, or growing in my faith as information transfer. I have to read this book. I have to take this class. I have to listen to this tape. The tape? Where did that come from? I have to listen to this podcast. Man, I just dated myself, right? Listen to this eight track. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> we think that discipleship is about information transfer. And it's about so much more than that. In fact, let me help you understand this, if, if I could. I want, I want to take a, a step back in time. In fact, let's go back to the first century, if we could. And let's talk about the educational system at the time when Jesus was alive. Now, before you check out and go, holy smokes, man, this is going to be really exciting. <laughs> Let me just take a little like 10 minute nap here until he gets to the good stuff. To me, this is fascinating. And I think it will help you to understand some of the things that Jesus said and some of the things that Jesus did with his followers. So in the first century, here's basically how the education system worked. All the Jewish children would go to school from ages, let's say, 6 to 10. They would be involved in the first level of their education, which is called Beit Sefer. From 6 to 10 years old, they would be involved in this portion of the education system. Most kids went into that system. And they would go to the synagogue usually, and they would be taught by a, a teacher of the Torah. And as part of their educational system, they would be required to memorize the entire Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. So as part of their education, they had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. So the next time you, have, you think you've got it bad that you have to memorize something, please spare me, okay? The first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. So at that point, at age 10, most kids would be done with their educational system. They would, they would finish. They would go back and they would be an apprentice. They would enter a trade. They would become, if their father, most likely they would follow their parent. They would become a fisherman. They would become a, uh, a carpenter. They would become a seamstress. Whatever apprenticeship they wanted to serve in. By age 10, they were on their way in that career. But the best of the best, that group of select children that did so well in Beit Sefer would continue on in their education, and they would enter the second level, which was called Beit Talmud. And this would last until they were about 15 years of age, and it entailed many things. But one of the things, one of the most impressive things that it entailed is they would be, as part of this education, be required to memorize the rest of the Old Testament. Memorize the rest of the Old Testament. Wow. 
Can you imagine? Now, at this point, again, a large group of children would just be done. They would, they would leave school at that point. They would go back. They would become an apprentice. They would learn a trade. And they would go on with their life. But the best of the best would go on to a third level of education, which was called Beit Midrash. Beit Midrash. And, and this one was a little bit different. Because what would happen is, after they finished their first two levels of education and they entered this third level, they would actually go and seek to become somewhat of an apprentice to a rabbi. They would go and they would attach themselves to a particular rabbi and they would sit under him. And, and the way that process worked is they would, they would come to the rabbi and the rabbi would sit there and he would, he would start to grill them. He would start to ask them questions about, about the Torah and about the law and about the prophets. And all the while he's engaged in this conversation with these teenagers, he's not only interested in what they know, because they're obviously very bright, they've memorized the Bible, their Bible, but he's more interested in whether or not they can do what he does. It's more than, can you know what I know? It's, can you do what I do? And so he's asking them questions, trying to get a feel for whether or not these young people can do what he does. If he came to the conclusion that they just weren't cut out for it, he would kind of dismiss them and off they would go. And again, they would find something to do with their life. But if he looked at them and he thought, I, I think that this person can do what I do. I think they can know what I know, but I also think they can do what I do. He would say to them, come, follow me. And he would invite them to become his disciple and to sit under him and to learn from him and to observe him. Now, in that time... There were all different types of rabbis, and they were really the most respected people in culture. That, that priestly class, that rabbinical class, was the most esteemed profession in that culture. Man of times changed. But at that time, that was the case. And each one of those rabbis would look at the law and look at Scripture, and they would each have a little bit different interpretation or a little different flavor. They would say, you know, I think this passage means this. And another rabbi would say, yeah, but I think maybe it means this. And so they would have their own philosophy, their own view of, of what the scripture meant. And that philosophy, that view of scripture that they held to became known as their yoke. That was called their yoke. Whatever they held to, whatever they believed about scripture became known as their yoke. And so these teenagers would come and they would sit under the rabbi and they would leave everything that they knew. They would leave home. They would live with the rabbi. They would eat with the rabbi. They would sleep with the rabbi. They would walk with the rabbi. Everywhere the rabbi went, they went. There were no correspondence courses at that time. They were with him. 24 hours a day, learning from him, but also observing what he did and doing things like he did. 
And so over time, you would see these uh, rabbis walking the dusty roads of the Middle East. And they would be followed by a pack of teenage kids just walking with them as their disciples. And so there, there came to be this saying among the sages at that time to these young people, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Because as they walked through these dusty roads, they're walking so close to the rabbi, whatever he's kicking up is ending up on them. And so they begin to look at that and say, may you walk so closely to your rabbi that you are covered by his dust. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to know Jesus. Now it's interesting because at that time, it was only the best of the best of the best that had an opportunity to sit at the feet of a rabbi and became, become his follower, his disciple. But with Jesus, he's opened that invitation to us all. He's called out to us and says, come follow me. We'll see that in just a moment. We've lost that in modern Christianity. This concept of being a follower, of being a disciple, involves more than information transfer for a few minutes on a Sunday morning, or a class I take, or a book I read. It really involves us giving our life to Him and attempting to follow Him in every single thing that we do. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And again, Jesus makes that offer to us. He calls to us. He invites you and I to come and follow Him. To get to know Him better. But let me take you through a four-step progression that I think takes place in every one of our lives as we get to know Him. Let's look at these together if we could. The first one is information. That's the first step that we go through. Information is important. We have to have knowledge. We have to learn about Jesus and from Him. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 says this, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As I said, discipleship, or knowing Jesus, begins with a transfer of information, a transfer of knowledge. That's absolutely necessary. The problem is, is so many times we stop there. I know a lot about Jesus I'm great at Bible trivial pursuit. Therefore, I am a disciple. No, it doesn't stop there. It only begins there. And notice that, that Jesus says, take my yoke upon you 
and learn of me. Remember what I just told you that that was? This yoke was the rabbinical, was the rabbi's teaching. It was his philosophy. It was his interpretation of things. And so he says, you need to take my yoke, the things that I know, the things that I do, the things that I believe, and you need to take that upon you and you need to learn of me. Now this implied more than simply learning about him. It was more than just information. But it was learning how to do life. It was learning how to think. It was learning how to act in particular situations. Because remember, those disciples, those first disciples, were with Jesus everywhere he went and observed everything that he did. And so all the while, they're taking in information and they're looking to see how he acted in particular situations. So it's so much more than just information transfer. But it begins there. But if we stop there, the Bible says what results is pride. Some of the meanest people I know, meanest Christians I know, are the people who know the Bible the best. And that is a sad commentary. You see, it's, it's about more than knowledge. Because knowledge puffs up. It gives us pride. But did you notice as Jesus was talking about that in that passage, he says that, that I am meek and of a lowly spirit. The knowledge that he had didn't result in pride. It resulted in meekness and humility. And our knowledge of Jesus and who he is in relation to who we are has the same impact upon us. Meekness and humility. Information is the first step. But there's another one. Crucial. And it's application. Application. I have to take what I know and apply it in my life. I have to put it to work. Or it's absolutely useless. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells a story. And I think it's instructive. It says... In, in 7.24, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and, and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Application. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus tells us that wisdom involves us hearing. He says, whoever hears my words, knowledge, information. But wisdom involves the person who does it. I heard it, I know it, I get it. But now let me put it to use in my life. Let me apply it. Let me live it out. He says, that's, that's a wise person. But notice he says a foolish person is the person who hears, I got the information, but then I don't do anything with it. He says, that's foolishness. I think this is, this is so instructive. Because look, the wise person and the foolish person, they had the same information, didn't they? Both of them heard the words. We could say they, they read the book, they heard the podcast, they knew the information. But what they did with it 
how they applied it is what made them wise or foolish. One chose to take what they knew and put it to use in their life. The other chose to take what they knew and just disregard it. Both had it. It's the application of information that gives us stability in our life, according to this passage. He says, whoever hears it and does it, they're building their life upon a rock. It gives them stability. But if we don't, there's no depth. I I hear all the time. I've heard this in my entire Christian life. Especially when someone is, is, is going to leave a church or thinking about leaving a church or is dissatisfied with a the church. They say, oh, you know, there's just not enough depth. There's just not deep enough. You know, I want, I want something deeper. I want, I want the meat of the Bible. A lot of milk there, but I, I want the meat. Here's my view of that. I think depth comes from doing what you know. If you're not doing what you already know, why do you need more? Why are you, get, why are you looking for meat when you're not drinking the milk that's before you? You see, I think depth in our Christian life comes from receiving the information and then taking that information and putting it to use in my life. And watching it play out in the way that I do life. That's deep. When I can do that, then I can move on and get a little bit more. And maybe go a little bit deeper. I need information, but I also need application. And what happens when I do that is our third step. It results in transformation. It results in transformation. Paul said this in Philippians 3 and verse 10. Famous verse. He says... That I may know Him. He's talking about Jesus. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. That I may know Him. You see, when I take what I know and I apply it in my life, that results in me being changed. And me being transformed. When Paul says that I may know him, that implies more than simply having more information about Jesus. When the Bible uses the word know, it implies intimacy, connection, fully devoted. I mean, he wants to do life with Jesus. He wants to know every aspect of who he is. It's not just... Let me memorize a few things about him. I want to know him. I want to connect with him. You see, Paul knew the Bible. The educational system I just described to you a few minutes ago, he went through that. He was part of that best of the best of the best. In fact, he went beyond and became part of a group called the Sanhedrin, which was the... I don't, the Green Berets of the Pharisees. I mean, he was, he was in the special forces of the Pharisees. He knew a lot. And yet, here he is in his life, and he says, man, I just want to know him. 
I want to know him. I want to understand about his power. I want to fellowship with him in that suffering. I want to be conformable unto him. See, that's the transformation piece. We, in churches, many churches, mainline churches, offer courses that are called confirmation courses. Many of you, I'm sure, went through a course like that sometime in your youth. Uh, think about the irony of that. A confirmation, confirmation. Confirmation of what? I think it is implying a change. Being conformed to Jesus. But really all it is is about, I've been through them, it's about memorizing of information, isn't it? It's not really about change. God desires to change us. It begins with information. As I apply it, he begins to change me into conforming into his image. Let's look at the last one. And it's multiplication. I'm not talking about math either. Well, in a way we are. But not the kind of math you're thinking about. Paul, same guy who wrote Philippians 3.10, had a, a, a disciple of his own, a young man by the name of Timothy, who wrote a couple of books that are in the Bible, First and Second Timothy. Need a little work on the creativity in the title, but that's his books. And in Second Timothy chapter two and verse two, Paul says this to him: "And the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also." This is the multiplication process of getting to know Jesus. Paul started, he imparted it to his disciple Timothy, and now he's instructing Timothy, hey, take what you know and what you're doing in your life, and I want you to commit that to faithful people, faithful men in your life, and then I want them to take that, and I want them to commit that same thing to others also. Do you see that? Four generations of followers of Jesus. It's multiplying exponentially. This is the way Christianity took root and took off in the early centuries. Let me give you what I know. You take that, give it to people who are faithful, and they'll take it and give it. And before you know it, it's going crazy. He's putting something that he knows into the life of someone else. This is maybe a, a component, an aspect of Christianity that we don't understand very well. Listen to me. You, in a very real sense, you are a spiritual sponge. You soak, you soak, you soak, you soak, but at some point you reach a saturation point when you cannot soak anymore without doing harm. And actually just make a mess. And so what we need to do is wring ourselves out so that we can absorb more. That is so true in our life. Information's great. We need knowledge. We need to grow. We need to apply that knowledge to our life. We need to allow Jesus to change us as we do life with Him. But we also need this fourth step of putting what we know into the lives of other people. Now, I don't expect to one day be walking through Princeton and see you on the sidewalk trailed by about 18, 15-year-olds who are now your disciples. I don't, that'd be great. That's cool, I guess. But I don't expect that. 
But here's what I do know is each of us, regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey, have people in our life to whom we can be ministering. Who we can be discipling in a sense. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a person sitting next to you. Maybe it's someone who God has placed in your life who's going through something that you went through a few years ago. And God brought you through that and showed you some things. And now you can take what you know and what you experience and you can put that into the life of someone else. God has called every single one of his followers to know him, information, to live like him, application, to be changed by him, transformation, but also to be taking what we know and putting it into the life of someone else. Multiplication. You know what I found about myself? When I truly learn something, I mean, when I truly get it, and it becomes part of my fabric, is when I take it and have to teach it to somebody else. I, I, I went through the discipleship course little lessons. I would meet with a guy every week or every other week and we'd go through these little booklets and we'd study them. And I was taking in the information and, and, and it was all well and good. But, but do you know when I, when I really, really got it is when I had to sit down with someone and begin to take them through it. That's when I got it. I was like, yeah, okay, now I understand this. Because I was multiplying it in my life. Every single one of us is being invited by Jesus to come and follow him. Let's, re- let's read Matthew again, Matthew 11, and verse 28. It says, Jesus speaking, come unto me, come. He's calling us, he's beckoning us. He's saying, be my disciple, come and follow me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, his teaching, upon you and learn of me. It's an invitation to everyone. It's not for a select group. It's not for a priestly class, pastoral class. It's for everyone. Think, think, think about it. Think about it. Don't, don't lose what we're talking about. This first century educational system, best of the best of the best got to be the disciples of these rabbis. Stop and think. Jesus comes. He's a rabbi. Who's he calling? What, what, did, what, what did Peter do for a living? He was a fisherman, right? Fishermen. Tax collectors. They weren't the best of the best of the best. They washed out at some point in their education. They had gone back and learned how to fish or learned how to be a carpenter. I don't know if you apprenticed to be a tax collector, but they, they, they were working other jobs. And Jesus comes along and he says, hey, you B-teamers, come on, come and follow me. Don't miss that. His call wasn't to this elite group. It was to these individuals who were just Regular people, nobodies, anybody's. Come, come and follow me, he says. Come be my disciple. 
And he extends that same invitation to each and every one of us. If you're here this morning and you're burdened, you feel the weight of life pressing down on you, Jesus says, hey, come. Come, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. My burden is light. He's extending that invitation to us. Not to just learn about him, but to learn of him. To learn to do life the way that he did it. To respond the way that he responds in situations. To take what I know and begin to put it into the lives of other people, which is what he's ultimately called all of us to do. Come and follow me. That whole process that I just described begins with knowledge. Nothing wrong with knowledge. Begins with information. But it has to move beyond that into application, transformation, multiplication in our lives. But it starts with information. I've got to learn some things. I've got to know some things. Here's my challenge to you this morning. This, our church is about this. We're about making followers of Jesus and watching people's lives be transformed as they love God more, love people more, and serve others more. That whole process is about discipleship, helping people become better followers of Jesus. And so we know that, we understand that, we take that very seriously, and because of that, we want to give whoever wants to an opportunity to grow. And so in a few weeks, we're going to begin offering a new course in our church called the Foundations Class. And so my challenge to anyone who would like to go through this class is to sign up today to do that. Again, it's the first step. It's the transfer of knowledge, the transfer of information that's sprinkled in there will be some application. Through the course of the course will be some transformation. And then, hopefully, at some point, multiplication. But my challenge to anyone who would want to do that this morning is to sign up for this course. Let me give you just a few minor details about it. It's going to begin on February 21st. That's a Sunday. And we're going to do something a little bit different this time. We're actually going to have the class right after church. So at 11.30 till 1 o'clock, we're going to be holding the class in one of the classrooms here adjacent to where we're meeting right now. It's going to be five weeks in length. And here's another little different thing. My good friend Stan Colbert is going to be teaching it. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, if that's of interest to you, we want to help build the foundations of knowledge, biblical knowledge, into your life. And so as we're dismissed this morning, there's going to be a sign-up sheet back at the Connect table. You can stop back there and you can sign up to take that class today. I'm going to have Stan and Brendan is also going to be back at the table. If you have any questions, you want to know a little bit more information, they'll be back there to help answer those questions for you. Take that step. Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, come, follow me. Take my yoke. Learn of me. That's the invitation that he's extending to us. And so I would encourage you to, to accept it. Let's pray. 
Father, we love you. We thank you for your, for your invitation in our life to follow you. I pray for those who are here this morning that need to take this step, that need to follow you, need to learn of you. I pray that they make this commitment in their life, that they would take uh, these five weeks and begin to build the foundations in their life that need to be there. Lord, I thank you for this time of, of worship that we've had today and for all the work that's been done by your spirit in our hearts. Lord, I pray this morning that you would just do something unbelievable in this church. That you would do a miracle here in central New Jersey and, and allow us to be a part of it. Lord, you know every need. You know every um, trial. You know every joy. And I pray, as only you can, that you would be at work right now in these last few moments of service that our lives would be become more like yours and that we would just draw near to you and that we would receive your invitation this morning. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Ernie's going to come and do the announcements this morning. It's a little different shift up. So...